0: Good afternoon, and welcome to Bible Quest, the Wednesday edition. We're going to be talking about the question of origins today. Chase Byers is with me from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and Drew DeGrado from Holmesdale, Pennsylvania. Uh, Joe uh, Works is not with us today. He may join us at some point, but we're not going to count on it. He's out of town right now. Good afternoon, Chase. Hey, Jeff. How are you doing today? Very good. Good afternoon, Drew, up in Holmesdale. Hi, Jeff. Good to see you again today. Thanks for helping us out today. Drew, of course, is often, almost always behind the scenes helping us out. Every now and then, he helps us out on the webcast. We want to talk about the question of origins today. Here's what we're talking about. Um, people want to attribute our existence to evolution. Uh, they say they think that there's more evidence for evolution than there is for God. I don't believe that, uh, but some people tend to think that. Here's the problem with that. There are a lot of problems with that, but one big problem is that in no way, in no way, answers the question of where did we come from in the first place, right?
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, I think that's uh, one of the biggest questions a lot of people have is where did we come from? Um, And uh, I I, I do think, to a certain degree, people are looking for a way to to explain away what Christians have concluded about where we came from. And so I think evolution
0: and, and other things are sometimes a result of that. Um, well, right. So, uh, but but the, but the thing is, and, and I think you're exactly right, people are looking for some alternative. I remember a quotation I heard from a, a Sir Arthur Keith, I think was his name. Uh, I think he was probably an anthropologist, but he made the statement Evolution is unproven and unprovable, and the only reason we accept it is because it is the only alternative to special creation. So what he was saying is the very thing that, that you are saying, that people believe in evolution because they don't want to believe in God. But the problem is, evolution doesn't take the place of God. It doesn't explain where we came from in the first place. Um, as a matter of fact, Chase, I was over your direction recently. We were talking about the fact that even uh, prominent evolutionists, even Richard, Daw- Richard Dawkins, that's his name? Yeah. Richard Dawkins himself uh, speculated that perhaps life was seeded here by aliens, extraterrestrial beings. Um, Watson and Crick, Crick and Watson, the guys who dis- who are credited with the discovery of the structure of DNA, um Uh, One of them has published articles advocating the theory that perhaps life was seeded here uh, from beings on other planets. Why would they speculate those things?
2: Well, because uh, life is very complicated and complex, and they recognize that it couldn't have happened from nothing. But then you have to ask the question, well, where did those alien lives come from?
0: Exactly. Two points you've just made. The first one, they recognize that the theory of evolution doesn't account for where the first life came from. And secondly, you've made the point that if they say, well, maybe it came from outer space or some other planet, that just pushes the question further away. It doesn't answer the question, where did the life on some other planet come from that came here, if that's the theory.
2: The, the thing about the DNA that you're talking about, they've recognized it is such a complicated code and everything works on code and programming. Well, you need a programmer to do the programming. And so they have a, they're in a paradox there and theories and things come up with it. They even have theories, well, yeah, that pushes the, the can down the road. So they come up with things like string theory or multiple universes, multiverses. But it still gets, it doesn't come down to the point. We're talking about matter. We're talking about intelligence. It had to start somewhere. Where? Yeah. And how? And Jeff,
1: uh, just going back to the lectures you did here in Harrisburg just a couple of weeks ago, who was it now that, that they had their own theory as to how the eye was created, or excuse me, how the eye works? Who was that that, that had that ridiculous explanation?
0: Well, okay. First of all, Darwin had, in his Origin of Species, he had talked about Uh, how difficult it may be to imagine that the eye evolved just by chance. But then he went on to say, but if you could suppose there were a series of of small incremental steps and that each step of the way provided an advantage to the organism that had the eye that maybe then you could get past how difficult it is to imagine this happened by accident and you could realize natural selection accounted for it. But then Richard Dawkins, it was Richard Dawkins who went through and he tried to go through and explain step by step how this would have happened. Uh, And of course, He had uh, it all right,
1: right? He he got it 100% correct. (laughs)
0: Well, hey, and he was just speculating. He doesn't have evidence of each of these steps and each of these benefits. He's just speculating. But what we talked about when I was over there at Harrisburg is the point Michael Behe has been making, uh, for example, in his book, Darwin's Black Box. And that is to say, Darwin was imagining all of this um, from the anatomical perspective Uh, at the anatomical scale, at the level of the eyeball, say, for example, he wasn't looking at it at the level of what is in each cell within the retina, within the eyeball. He wasn't looking at what each cell that is a rod or each cell that is a cone, how complex that cell is and how in the world all the little changes that would have to take place to create that rod, all the mechanisms within it, how in the world each of those changes could provide a benefit to the organism such that it would be passed on and and thus predominate in the progeny of, of this organism. And so the, the Behe's expression, the black box, is uh, kind of analogous to, to a computer. If you look at a computer and how it works, you may think, Oh, well, I, I see. I push this button and a K pops up on screen. Uh, so I've got it all figured out. I understand it. And you may even imagine in your head an explanation for the mechanism. Inside this machine, there's probably a string that goes from the K key <laughs> to a little place on the back of the monitor. I push this and it pulls up a K. But then you open the computer and look at the insides and you realize you have no idea how this thing works. It's a black box. and And he's, B, he was saying the cell is Darwin's black box. He was imagining incremental changes at the anatomical level, but had no way to comprehend the complexity at the cellular level. That was his point.
1: Yeah, and all, and all that, and I bring that up, and thank you for explaining that to say it still doesn't answer our question of origin. Right. It if still you, doesn't get
0: there. If you could, if you could come up with a, a credible theory of how uh, we evolved from apes, or, or apes evolved from something else, or, or, you know, one organism evolving into another, you still don't explain where life came from in the first place. Or, or for that matter, if you could explain how life came from some non-life, you still don't explain where the non-life came from in the first place.
2: I sometimes like to ask the question, I just imagine that first The existence of that first living—what do they call it—the oba or cell? An amoeba Amoeba, sometimes. That's it. This little amoeba sticks his head up. One-celled animal. Yeah, he sticks his head up out of the ground.
0: He he doesn't have a head. He's just a cell.
2: (laughs) Okay, but he needs to eat. He's a living creature, a living thing. So he looks around and he says, "What am I going to eat? There's nothing there—just rock." (laughs) Yeah. Okay.
0: (laughs) <laughs> so, uh, you, you end up with all kinds of conundrums like that. Uh, we talk about what came first, the chicken or the egg. Um, <laughs> if you just, well, that's another question. Well, let's just, let's pursue that just for a moment. Uh, if, if you had, a chicken that didn't come from an egg. How do you get a chicken that didn't come from an egg, and every chicken thereafter comes from an egg? If you started with an egg and you didn't have a chicken, who sits on the egg? So there are those kinds of problems. But there's a there's a thing in the DNA code. You mentioned the DNA code a minute ago, Chase. Um, there are instructions in the DNA code that 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 give that determine how. Enzymes are are made. They are the code, the instructions for creating enzymes that are the little machines that do so much of the work in our bodies. Uh, So, well, in fact, it's those enzymes that that have the code in them that do all the work, uh, and the code is in the DNA, but for that code to be read by the DNA to create enzymes. You have to have enzymes. So you have to have enzymes. I think there's a bit of a conundrum there, right, Jeff? Yeah, right. (laughs) So you end up with kind of a a circular thing. So what all of that brings us to is the idea that life came from non-life or just sprang into being spontaneously is not science. It's something people believe because they want to believe it. Uh, We used to talk about the law of biogenesis and uh, the law of biogenesis was that all life comes from previously existing life. That's what is scientifically observable. Uh, in the middle ages, people believed life just sprang into existence from non-life, right? Are you aware of that? Drew, Had you were you aware yeah. of people used to believe that? Yeah. I mean, you set some rotting meat out you leave it there. And the next day there's all these little maggots crawling around in it. What happened? They saw, thought life came from non-life. There was just, Non-life, and then all of a sudden there's life, spontaneously. And it was Louis Pasteur who came along and demonstrated, no, 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 all life comes from previously existing life. That's the only thing we see scientifically. But now people who want to tell us that evolution is science that life is here and as an accident, you, you say, well, where did that life come from? Well, it evolved from this. Well, where did that life come from? Well, it evolved from this. But let's go back to the beginning. Where did the first life come from? And without God, what do they have to say? Nothing. Oh, Life had, life had to come from non-life. Well, that's not science. That's not science. And so um, evolution does not answer the question of origins. Um, are we on any better footing, guys, if we say, well, God created it. Uh, We say, well, evolutionists, atheists are just speculating something that we've never seen happen, something that we can never demonstrate, that sometime in the past, life came from non-life. We say that's just wishful thinking. They're believing that because they want to. They don't have any rational basis for that. Are we on any better footing if we say life came from God?
1: We're on far better footing as far as I'm concerned. Uh, we, we have God's Word for us and uh, different things that it presents and, and makes valid and good points as to how we can know and have faith that God is real.
0: All right, we, you mentioned God's Word, and we're going to turn to God's Word here in just a minute, but let me press you on that, Chase. I agree with you, but let me press you. If I'm an atheist, you say, well, we have God's Word for that. God's Word tells us that God created everything. I'm an atheist. I say, well, Chase, how do I know it's God's word? You just believe that because you want to believe that.
1: What do I say to that? Yeah. We're, we're going to have to start with some real foundational basic things about life and, and just a uh, general or a truth about life and how it got here. And if nothing came from nothing, nothing is still there. Yeah. You know,
0: Billy talk. Preston saying nothing from nothing leaves nothing. That was yeah. a song back in the seventies. Um, but Here's where I think one of the ideas we want to stress today. When we talk about faith, faith in a creator, faith in, in, the, in the God of the Bible, we're not talking about just believing it because it feels good. We're not talking about believing it without any reason. Faith is not the opposite of reason. Faith is found, founded upon reason. Here's, here's the thing. Here's the difference. Uh, Chase, Uh, Do you have reason to believe that I'm trustworthy? Yes, I do. You have evidence that would say I'm trustworthy. Yeah. yeah. You have a track record. You have, okay. If I tell you that right now, um, oh, I don't know. If I tell you right now, uh, I'm going to have to make something up. It's not really true because I don't see anything astonishing outside right now. If I tell you right now, there is a great horned owl pecking at my window, um, you would find that astonishing. But if I in all seriousness was telling you that, uh, you would at least believe I'm, I'm telling you what I believe to be true because you you have reason. Yeah, yeah you,
1: you have not given me a reason
0: to not believe that, that what you've said. So when we talk about faith in, in the Bible as the word of God, the point isn't that we just believe it because we feel like believing it. The point is there is reason to believe it's the word of God. And so then when God tells me things I cannot imagine otherwise, when God tells me things, I cannot demonstrate scientifically. I believe, I believe it's true because I believe him. I believe it's true because I've evidence that it is he who says it to me and that he is reliable. So the the factual evidence doesn't show me the validity of what he's saying, but it shows me that he is truthful and that he is the one speaking to me. That's the point. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. In Hebrews chapter 11, by the way, to our viewers, we would be happy to have you join us today. Let me check and make sure we've got this uh, posted as public on Facebook. Uh, every now and then, I don't get that done correctly. Um, in fact, it's not streaming on Facebook. Chase, have you checked it? Are we streaming? Oh, no.
1: on- yeah, we're streaming on Facebook. I'm watching it right now.
0: Oh, okay, all right, very good. All right, and I and I think I've got it set to public. Good. All right, and if you are watching, you have comments or questions. We'd be delighted to have your uh, comments come our way this afternoon. But in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, now faith is assurance of things hoped for, a conviction of things not seen. For therein the elders had witness born to them. By faith, we understand that the worlds have been framed by the word of God, so that what is seen has not been made out of things which appear. By faith, we understand that the worlds have been framed by the word of God. Well, that means we can't see the world's being framed by the word of God. We can't see it happen. We can't go back in time and with a video camera record it happening and show everybody this is what happened. We take God's word for it that that's what happened. But we have reason to believe the Bible is God's word and that God is credible. So what are some of the reasons we can believe that the Bible is the word of God? Yeah, Drew.
2: Well, before you get into that, um, Peter is telling us to have reason. He's In, in um, 1 Peter 3, 15, he says, Honor, uh, but in your hearts honor Christ, the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense for anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. So yeah. we're to have reason, which involves intellect. And what's interesting, he says something over in, uh, let's see... Chapter 1, he says, uh, this is relating to reason, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, this is in uh, 1 Peter 1, verse 20, but was made manifest in last things for the sake of you, manifest, in other words, Christ was made visible, you see him, who through him, through who? Through Christ, are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. What he's saying is your faith and hope is not in in Jesus being raised from the dead. Your hope is in God. And how can you hope in God that you can't see? Because the facts, using your reason and intellect, you can find out that he was raised from the dead. So there's some evidence. I think that's where you're going with this. There's some evidence to have faith in God. It's not just blind faith.
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah,
1: um, and then just touching on the question you asked, how, how can we have faith and how, how can we know what, what is in God's Word? Um, take, for instance, what Luke and the way he started off his gospel account.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When
1: he was appealing to Theophilus, um, now whether you think that's an individual or some kind of, uh, or some kind of group of people, whatever have you, one of the things he says right off the bat in Luke 1, verse 1, inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. And it seemed fitting for me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning, to write it out for you in consecutive order, most excellent Theophilus. uh, Theophilus. Luke is not just saying, hey, take my word for it. Luke is saying, I have eyewitnesses and I have went and I have I have personally
0: confirmed these things. Uh, I eyewitness testimony. We use eyewitness testimony in, in courts of law today. And we send people to we send people to uh, decades in prison in prison on the basis of eyewitness testimony because we believe that's credible. Uh, certainly there are, are witnesses who can be lying witnesses, false witnesses, but you examine the credibility of the witnesses. And we look at the testimony of the witnesses in, in the Gospels and in the New Testament, we see the claims that Jesus was raised from the dead. Now, wait a minute. Somebody's going to say, well, right there, you, you have evidence that this guy is not a credible witness. He's saying somebody was raised from the dead. That's impossible. Here's the, here's the point that somebody who says that needs to remember something has happened that you have never seen that no human on earth has ever seen happen. The fact that we are here says that somehow something happened at some point in time that we've never seen. If you believe life sprang into existence from non-life, that's something nobody's ever seen. You can believe it if you wish. But that's something nobody's ever seen. You say it's impossible somebody's raised from the dead because you've never seen it. Okay. Say you've never seen it, but that's no different than what you're saying about the origin of life in the first place. It's something nobody has ever seen. The difference is we have credible witnesses concerning the resurrection of Jesus. We don't have credible witnesses. We don't have any witnesses that life sprang into existence from nothing. or from and, God. And,
1: and touching on that point about the resurrection as well and, and, Paul makes that same point in 1 Corinthians 15. He's he's also acknowledging, hey, if the resurrection didn't happen, our faith is in vain. It's empty. It's, it's pointless. Mm-hmm. So Paul is even putting stock in saying, hey, here are some eyewitnesses. Here are some people who saw the risen Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, the same can be said today when we're trying to prove that Jesus was raised from the dead. Um, but, yeah, Jeff, I think that's a, that's a great point.
2: Following yeah. up on what you're saying there, Chase, in, in chapter 15, Paul goes even further and says, if he wasn't raised from the dead, I'm a liar. All of us are liars. And what does that mean? Then you can't believe a word I say. So there has to be some kind of evidence or proof to them, physical evidence, that he's not a liar. Obviously, there, are, there is, the resurrection, the empty tomb. And then in verse 17, uh, chapter 17 of Acts, he's talking to philosophers, Greek philosophers. And he makes an interesting statement. In verse 30 of Acts 17, he says, The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he fixed the day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. In other words, you can't see the day of judgment. That's something you can't see. It's coming. But you can be sure it's going to happen. Why? Why? Go look at the empty tomb. There's Mm -hmm. evidence and proof that you intellectual philosophers can go check out. You have the proof. Well, am I any different today in year 2019? There's got to be evidence for me then to come to that same conclusion. So there is. That's not the topic of today's program. But there is evidence. And that's the whole premise I think you're going at. Is there any evidence that life sprang from nothing? No, the opposite is true. We haven't been able to do that. Is there any evidence that Jesus raised from the dead? Yeah, we just need to go look at it. Mm-hmm. Here's where the difference is. There's no evidence on one side, and there is evidence on another. Now, what you do with the evidence, that's a different story.
1: Uh, yeah, I've got a few comments on the Facebook page I want to work through. Okay. Uh, Keen Taylor says, think of the alternative. Without God, man is without purpose. How bleak. And uh, I I absolutely agree. But when you look at this, um, yeah, man has no purpose. But when I find out that I have no purpose, guess what that gives me the right to do? Whatever I want to. And so I think in a lot of cases, that's the conclusion that people want to come to. That, well, if there is no God, there is no purpose, so I can do what I want. Whereas when I accept the fact that there is a deity, there is a God and there and someone that created me, then I'm recognizing that I'm the created, they're the creator, I now have to do what they say.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And
1: as soon as I realize that fact, my whole life is going to change. That's right. So, so I would rather just ignore that and say there's no purpose because then when there's no purpose, I make my own
0: purpose. So, so this, this gets at a fundamental point. And that is, whereas... Atheists like to claim they're rational, and they uh, have science on their side and all of that, and, and believers don't. Really, the opposite is quite true, and in this sense in particular that you're highlighting, the atheist is often an atheist because he doesn't want to yield to the obligation. He doesn't want to have to obey what a creator would tell him to do. He wants to do what he wants to do. So that what that's really saying is the atheist is the one who believes what he believes because it's what he wants to believe, not because it's where the evidence leads him. I want to call attention to John chapter 10 real quickly. Jesus is speaking to some Jews and he says this in verse 37, if I do not the works of my father, Believe me not. In the context, works are clearly the miracles that that he's been doing. He says, if I don't do miracles, uh, don't believe me. But if I do them, though you believe not me, believe the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. What I'm pointing out here is Jesus himself did not come to earth calling upon people to believe. You know, some people like to go out and say, well, I just know that I know that I know that I know. I know it in my heart. And and that's entirely subjective. It's about what they feel. It's not evidence-based. That's not faith. That's not the kind of faith Jesus called upon people to have. Jesus was saying, look at the evidence. And if the evidence doesn't point to the fact that I'm from God, okay. But if it does, then accept the conclusion. And the evidence was the miracles that he was doing. Chase, you had some other comments from our viewers um, on the Facebook page.
1: Yeah, uh, another comment. It says, and when you lay all the eyewitness accounts on top of each other, like pieces of a puzzle, it all fits together. For example, uh, Jacqueline goes on to say how the four Gospels all tell some of the, uh, some of the same things they witnessed, but with different details. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is really fascinating when you look at how different the Gospels are, mm-hmm. yet they're all telling the same story. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that, that would be a good evidence. That would be a helpful thing to point out.
0: And there, there is some, it's, it's, it's interesting, there is some evidence of independent, there, certainly as you look at the four Gospels, say comparing Matthew and Mark, there are many things that are told in both Matthew and Mark, and many of the phrases are, are uh, nearly identical, in some cases they are identical, and so, so we're not denying that, but at the same time, there's some independence. Uh, so for example, I don't know if I can do this off the top of my head, but I'm going to try um, I'm going to turn to Matthew's account of Peter's denial of Jesus in, am I thinking right? Is it Matthew's account or is it Mark's account? I'm going to try it in Matthew's account. Well, you look at Matthew's, I'll look at Mark's. Okay. Well, it's the other one we're going to need, I believe is John's account. Okay. John's account. Uh, it's either Matthew and John or Mark and John. So I'm reading, uh, about the first two times Peter is asked about his connection with Jesus when Jesus is being tried. In verse 69, Peter was sitting without in the court and a maid came unto him saying, thou also was with Jesus, the Galilean. And uh, he denied before them all saying, I don't know what you're saying. And when he was gone into the porch, another maid saw him and says to them that were there, this man also was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied with an oath, I know not the man. Uh, so there's that. I think that'll work. That's Matthew's account. Now John's account. And if you can read the first two denials in John's account, there. What's the reference there?
1: Yeah. So that that would be John 10 uh, and verse 25. Or John 18. Sorry, John 18 and verse 25. Okay. Um, now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, "You are not also one of his disciples, are you?" And he denied it and said, "I am not." And then one of the slaves of the high priest, being a relative of the one whose ear Peter cut off, said, did I not see you in the garden with him? And Peter then denied it again, and immediately a rooster crowed. So, so there's no mention
0: of a maid, is there? And, and in John's account, the question is put, you're not one of his disciples, are you? Giving him the benefit of the doubt, almost expecting him to say, in fact, the way that those is worded, they're expecting the answer is, no, you're not, are you? Whereas in Matthew's account, it's an affirmation. You are one of Jesus' disciples. In John's account, he just says, I'm not. In Matthew's account, he is denying it uh, fervently, even with an oath. And you look at that and you say, well, that's a little different picture. Now look at Mark's account. And uh, Mark's account is going to be in Mark chapter 14.
1: The very end of 14.
0: Yep, and I'm going to start in verse 67. Seeing Peter warming himself, she looked upon him and says, Thou also wast with Nazareth, uh, the Nazarene, even Jesus. But he denied, saying, I neither know nor understand what thou sayest. And he went out, "Uh, that's not, that's not, that's right. Mark's account doesn't have, uh, maybe it was Matthew's account. I'm trying to put this together. I went through this just recently. Um, Matthew's account, let me go back there. well, I'm not going to spot it right now, but if you, if you look carefully at the, at the four accounts, one of the accounts mentions they were saying. Um, and, and, and then you look at the other accounts, and it talks about a specific individual. And, and you put that together. At first glance, what you see is, well, they're different. But then you put it together, and what you can see easily then is a scenario whereby several people are saying, He was with Jesus in the garden, and Peter, and then and then and then one individual turns to Peter and says, You weren't with Jesus, were you? No, they're saying you were. You weren't with him, were you? And and so that would accommodate both accounts. Well, what I'm getting at is this, it's a long way around to get to this, and I shouldn't even have started this. But you have what our what our viewer was mentioning, you have different details that show independence if they were contrived and it was just one editor saying, we've got to make all this say the same thing, you wouldn't have those things that at first glance seem to be different, maybe even contradictory. And yet when you put them all together, they're, they're not contradictory. There is a way that you can see all of that and say, oh yeah, I can see a scenario where all of that happened. So it is an, it is an evidence of the independence of the witnesses. Well, that was way too much uh, to go into for the point we 're trying to get at, the point we 're trying to get at is we have credible witnesses um, that uh, they're not just they 're not telling a contrived myth they 're telling the story as they saw it happen
1: sure and and just to your point, I mean you you go anywhere today and ask about Jesus somebody most people have heard of Jesus, and so to to your point uh I think it was a little bit ago that something happened. And uh, somebody saw something, and there was a lot of those somebodies and they all told and they wrote it down and they, they told their story. Well, um,
0: and, and as to the resurrection, Paul writes to the Corinthians just within 20plus oh, years after the death of Jesus and his resurrection and he, he challenges the Corinthians. he says, "Jesus appeared to 500 brethren at once and, and some of them are still alive. You can yeah. go and ask them. And that, uh, that,
1: that wraps up the, the last comment we had from Justin Brewer. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul points, out, uh, points to numerous witnesses that were at that time still alive, mostly. And his point was, go and
0: ask them. Go talk to them. So, so what we're saying is, when it comes to the question of origins, something has happened no one has ever seen. Either life has sprung into existence spontaneously from non-life, or there's a God who made everything. We have a record, the Bible, uh, of a of a communication. It claims to be a communication from God to man, explaining how He created everything, where where we came from. Do we have reason to find it credible? Well, we have eyewitness testimony to the resurrection of Jesus, which vouches for Jesus' claim to being the Son of God. Paul says in Romans one and four, declared to be the Son of God. Uh, by the resurrection. Uh, When a man says, I'm the son of God, I'm going to be killed, I'm going to be raised on the third day, and then he's killed and he's raised from the dead on the third day, you go, oh, uh, he must have known what he was talking about. Maybe he's the son of God. And so, so there's that. On the other side of things, life just came into existence spontaneously. Nobody's ever seen that. Science can't support that. That cannot be scientifically demonstrated. We don't have any witnesses that can attest to it. All we have is wishful thinking.
1: Yeah, and just uh, another passage that goes well with this thinking is earlier in Hebrews, in Hebrews 3. Um, if I could title Hebrews 3, it would be Jesus is far better than Moses is one of the points trying to be made. But Hebrews 3 and verse 3, for he being Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses by just so much as the builder of the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone but the builder of all things is God. And so I think that, that just adds to our, uh, to our case that can't have nothing for nothing. Uh, there, there has to be a builder. And in, in our case, we believe that the builder of all things is God.
0: Now, somebody says, well, okay, wait a minute, but if you believe the Bible is the account of how things came into existence, that means you believe things were created in seven days and all of that business. And they'll say, that sounds like a fairy tale. And I will grant you, I will grant you, I have never seen the creation of everything that's in the world in seven days. I've never seen the creation of all the fish of the sea and all the birds of the air created in one day. I've never seen that happen. Sounds a little like a myth or a fairy tale in the sense that something I've never seen sounds like a myth or a fairy tale. On the other hand, the idea that suddenly life just sprung into being from non-life, that also sounds like a myth or a fairy tale. I've never seen that happen.
1: And, and you know you know what kills me when people accuse Bible believers with, with, that, with that right there? So you're telling me that, that you believe in this God that, you know, so how could he have created? And it's like, I'm a Christian. I've, I've submitted over to the will of the Father, and I believe he created me. Who am I to doubt his power to do those things in a day? At, at that point, when you believe in, in the God of the Bible, it should not be that big of a jump for you to believe God's power and believe he can do these things?
0: Well, let's do this. Let's talk about the seven days of creation, or actually six days of creation and seventh day he rested. Uh, I mean, doesn't that sound like a fairy tale? I mean, if if we're going to attribute all this power to an omnipotent God who can just make everything, why did it take him six days? Why didn't he just boom? There it all is done in one instant. Um, the fact that it's kind of drawn out over six days, doesn't that suggest myth fairy tale
1: uh yeah and i think that's that's a good question but uh, again i think it goes back to i I respect god i i believe he did things in his timing um we can point to things like the sabbath day uh god pointing out that this there's going to be this this time of rest for the Israelites, for his people, much like he rested on the seventh day. They're going to rest and consider and think about how they came out of bondage and, and, and Egyptian slavery. And then there's the point in Hebrews, the fourth chapter, that the believers have rest after they're wandering in the wilderness.
0: Yeah, well. so you know, so what you're not,
2: getting. You know, Go it, ahead, you know, it's not a myth, Jeff. What? How many humans on the planet observe seven days in a week? Yeah. <laughs> Where so, did that come from? Why well, seven days?
0: Yeah. The and, numbers and,
2: would be better if it was 10 days.
0: Yeah, that's true. So, what? Well, and, and what we're getting at here in making these observations is that God, in, in the Bible, God speaks through the Bible and he explains what he's done and he describes what he's done. And oftentimes he does things in a certain way to make a point. Sure, God could have done everything in an instant, but He did it in six days and ceased on the seventh day. And then, Chase, you were mentioning then later on there is the the day of rest for the Jews. Let's turn over to uh, Exodus. I believe it's Exodus, the twentieth chapter that makes the connection between their day of cessation from work and God's day of cessation.
2: While you're turning gonna... over there, while you're turning over there, it appears you're going to. Um... You're indicating purpose.
0: Yes, exactly. Exactly. So in Exodus, the 20th chapter and verse 8, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it, you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. But Chase, as you were pointing out just a minute ago, that was not an end in and of it itself. Ultimately, that day of rest, the Sabbath day, foreshadowed the ultimate rest that God's people will have in eternity, in eternal life when they rest from their labors. And the, and the scriptures make this connection.
1: Jesus is Lord even of the Sabbath.
0: Yeah. So what we see then in the Bible is is not a picture of God who says, well, I want to make everything. It's going to take me six days to do this. Wow. No, it's a God who determines I'm going to do this in six days, and then I'm going to communicate to man that I did it in six days and ceased from my work of creation. And then I'm going to give man a six-day work week, so to speak, the Israelites at least, and have them have a day of rest. And then I'm going to have the Israelites go through the wilderness and come into the promised land while, where they will have a rest, And all of that is pointing to the idea that I have in mind an ultimate rest for my people. So there's purpose in why God does it the way he does it. It's not just that it's some myth uh, with a random six days of creation.
1: Um, Jeff, we have another comment or a question, rather, uh, that I think we should put our heads together to try and answer. Passages support that Jesus was creator. Mm -hmm. Is there also a passage that says that having that quality is a definition of God? Wait a minute. It says Jesus was created or was creator creator. Oh, creator. Okay. So passages support that Jesus was creator. Is there also a passage that says that having that quality is a definition of God?
0: Um, Well, let's turn to the passages. First of all, that, that highlight Jesus role as creator. Let's go to John chapter one and Colossians chapter one. And, Um, let's, we can start with those, Uh, I'm going to start with John chapter one and verse one, and, uh, we'll read the first three verses here in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. I'm just going to briefly here, talk about the word word. It's the Greek word logos, and it's from which we get the English word logo, And a logo is what a company uses, a business uses, to communicate a message about their product or about their company, who they are. Nike uses the whoosh. Uh, You buy our shoes, you'll run fast like whoosh. And that communicates a whole idea. In the book of John, I think this is more the point than all the Greek philosophical ideas of logos. Uh, In the book of John, Jesus is the one who communicates God to us. Verse 18, no man has seen God at any time the only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared it. Jesus, the Word, declares, communicates the idea of God to us. We see God in Jesus in John 14 and verse 6. Philip says, show us the Father. And Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father Jesus is the communication of the Father to us. And, of course, it says in verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That makes it clear the Word is this one we know as Jesus. Then it goes on in John chapter 1, verse 2, and it says the same, this Word, was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that has been made. I think that passage there gets, at least to some degree, to the question the viewer is asking. Is creator a part of, intrinsically a part of, deity? Um, well, it's connecting Jesus with deity, godness, and saying he created everything. It seems in John's mind there is that creation. I mean, there is that connection. I would say this. The idea of deity can't be something that is created. It has to be something self existing If it's created, if if it's created by something else, it's not deity. Deity is self-existing. Well, if there is that which is self-existing, and then there's everything else that is not self-existing but was made, then it had to have been made either by something else that was also made or ultimately had to be made by God. So almost by definition, God has to be the source of everything that's, that's not God um and so god has to be creator
1: yeah absolutely and jesus jesus reaffirms some of this that you're talking about when he's talking to the uh to the jews in john 8 and he says truly truly i say to you before abraham was born i am mm-hmm. not i i i came to be no i am mm-hmm. um so yeah and i, I think um I think that that was a really good question by Keene. So I appreciate her asking that.
2: You're then, about, go ahead. You were talking about purpose before, and uh, I don't know if you used the word chase, but it implied accountability that people don't want to accept what God uh, said through his word. They don't want to accept his word. Um, they don't want to be accountable for that. But, he, but I'm impressed with what Isaiah said in, um, In Isaiah 66, he starts off talking about, well, God is speaking. God created everything. He's above everything else. There's nothing you can do for him. There's nothing you could make for him. Okay? So he says, thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you could build for me? And what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But now here is what's... Which, which separates the men from the boys, so to speak. But this one to whom I will look, this is the one who, out of all the creation, everything that we look at is marvelous and things that are great. The Creator is saying, This is the one to whom I'm going to look Look out. No, the one I will consider. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. There's and that's Isaiah
0: 66 1 and 2.
2: Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, 66 verses one and two. So in other words, I have to remove my ego, my pride, my arrogance, and humble myself before His word. I won't do that if I don't want to have that, if I don't want to have any accountability. I, I I live for myself. Well, that's the opposite attitude.
0: Hmm. Well, guys, I tell you what, 45 minutes flew by in a hurry today. Um, we're at the end of our time. We thank our viewers for watching and especially our viewers who offered comments, chimed in a little bit during the webcast. And thank you, Chase. Thank you, Drew. Um, We missed Joe today. Hopefully we'll see him back here next week. Um, But till next week, um, be studying God's word. Thank you.